Warning, you are about to enter a world populated by the most appalling music ever made. Welcome to the search for the worst album of all time. This is Broken Records. But I hadn't been forgotten, I Joe. I'd been married a long time ago. Saint Bango. <laughs> a girl with kaleidoscope eyes. <laughs> You're beautiful. Hey, hey, I wanna be a rock star. Hello, welcome to episode 14 of Broken Records, the podcast which aims to find the actual worst album ever made. We have a bunch of albums in a list, all of them taken from various aggregate scores or due to their terrible, terrible reputation standing within the music world. And every week we take one of those albums and we decide... Is it really that bad? Um, my name is Stephen Hill. I'm joined by Renfrey Deadman, as ever. Hello, Hello, Renfrey. How are you? I'm very well, Steve. How are you? I'm all right, thanks, mate. I'm all bloody right. This week, we're going to be talking about Liz Fair. Liz Fair's self-titled debut... It's not a debut album. It's a self-titled it's album. Not, it's, it's not a, a self-titled album. album from, yeah. From yeah. Self-titled album from 2003. Now, this idea that we have of trying to find the worst album ever made, uh, this actually used to be a segment on our weekly review show, Riot Act, um, which you can listen to every Friday. We review the very best in alternative music. And... Um, what you're about to hear was taken from episode 97 of Riot Act, which came out on the 12th of June, 2020. So that's when we actually recorded that part of the conversation. Um, new, getting very, very close to the, the brand new sparkling episodes that we've just recorded. They are going to be available for you. That's exciting, isn't it? Oh, yeah. They are. They yeah. are. They're very exciting. I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, without further ado, might as well not fuck around. Might as well just chuck you in there. This album um, was—it's a bit sexy. This album, isn't it? A bit. Fair to say, would you call it a bit sexy? This record. It's very sexy. (laughs) So, if you like sexy things, you've come to the right place. Um, Let's go over to me and Renfrey now discussing the Liz Fair self-titled album from two thousand three. So far, we'll just run down the list Why from not? best to worst. Bob Dylan, Self-Portrait, Lou Reed's Metal Machine Music, Lauren Hill, MTV 2.0 Unplugged, Bush's Black and White Rainbows, Streets in the Sky by The Enemy, One by Dirty Vegas, Viva Brothers' Famous First Words, Louis XIV, Slick Dogs and Ponies, Queen and Paul Rogers' The Cosmos Rocks, Richard Ashcroft's United Nations of Sound. I still laugh just at the very idea of that. Eogan Quigg, soon to be on tour with Leached, uh, and his self-titled um, uh, debut album. Six Feet Unders, Graveyard Classics, Volume 2, at number two. And at number one still, and probably will remain there for some time, I predict, mm. Towers of London's Blood, Sweat and Towers. But what is going to be joining it in the list this week, you asked, dear listener? Well, I'll tell you. It is going to be the self-titled album from Liz Fair the fourth studio album from the American singer-songwriter, which was released on the 24th of June, 2003. Her debut album, Exile, Exile in Guyville, is it? Exile, yeah. 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 Uh, which came out in 1993. Uh, we both listened to that as well, didn't we? Giving ourselves we did, yeah. extra homework. It, um, yeah. And I'm very, very pleased that I listened to that as well because it gives everything, it gives uh, the fourth record far more context as to why it was yeah, received I, I, in the manner that it was received. I think I think so. And we just needed to get that out of the way because I feel like Liz Fair is an artist um, 
that very much like the kind of the Sarah McLaughlin school of artists from the US that kind of played Lilith Fair in the 90s that never really got a lot of attention over here. I mean, obviously, someone like Sheryl Crow um, or Alanis Morissette obviously would have done, but there are a whole bunch of people who were massive in the US. Um, in fact, my girlfriend, who's just around the corner there, uh, went to Lilith Fair back in the day. She was talking oh, about yeah. it and how great it was. She told me you played, and I probably couldn't name you a single. Michelle Branch, people like that, I couldn't name a single song from right. any of those people. That sort of thing. Another one of those things which is very much a kind of a, an American thing, I think. It didn't really translate in the main to the UK. She was definitely an artist who I had heard of but had never yeah. heard before. I mean listening to Exile and Guyville, you know, that came that record came out 2 years before Jagged Little Pill. And and you know, I mean, I'd be very surprised if Alanis Morissette wasn't listening to Liz Fair. You know, mm. there, there's a, there's there are definitely I don't I personally don't think Exile and Guyville is as good as um Jagged Little Pill, but what is but what it well sincerely they're, they're, it's a fucking great record um yeah. it's interesting what did, what did you think of exile and guyville before we get into uh this fourth record i quite liked it mm. i mean i think we'll talk more about it but I, I i you know i quite liked it um and i listened to it first before yes, i listened to so I. the album that we're going to be covering today and i thought like one or two listens to a record, which is what I gave it basically. Yeah, one yeah, or two yeah. kind of cursory listens is probably not going to really give you enough to be going on. Like, I wouldn't feel comfortable reviewing it, but I did think, oh, this is quite good. Yeah. It's very confessional, obviously. I mean, she kind of came to the attention of the media after a series of very confessional, like those kind of confessional, lo-fi, quite frank indie rock records um that were released on matador in the early 90s so the first couple i think in particular Mm -hmm. people were like seriously excited about um her second album whip smart in 1994 got on the front cover of rolling stone with the headline a star is born alongside it so certainly in america she was becoming a big deal and by making a type of music which i think very definitely would would be the sort of thing that i think if um exile in guyville came out today i think we'd cover it and i think we'd be pretty positive about it yeah relatively um i I think it's um i think when it's good i think it's very very good Uh, i'm not reviewing it here because like you i've only listened to it a couple of times um broadly too fucking long it's 18 songs yeah, it's really Ooh. long. Um, and so does this one we're about to talk about as well. They're long, long records. Uh, yes. Um, I mean, Exit and oh, no. Exile and Guyville is um, 55 odd minutes, whereas this one's 50 minutes and 14 seconds. Um, I kind of felt, interestingly, um, that her more experimental material wasn't actually as successful as her straight lace down the line poppier material on exile and guyville which is God, do you work for a record label by any chance <laughs> were you working for a record label in 2003 well which is which is an interesting just an interesting point to make because that's definitely going to come up later i think mm-hmm. um but certainly you know exile and guyville was definitely critically acclaimed it's been ranked by rolling stone as one of the 500 greatest albums of all time I'm not sure i strictly agree but it is very very good and i think the other thing that we should probably point out is um she had an approach 
to sex that was very uncommon coming from a woman in the early 90s. So mm. I think when when we look back historically, one thing I do have to say for Liz Fair is she probably helped to open the floodgates for artists like Alanis Morissette and so on and so forth. In, I think for a long time, it just, I think, and I think it does go back to this, it just wasn't very considered very ladylike to discuss your feelings when it comes to that subject as openly as Liz Fair does. Um, Mm. On Exile and Guyville, I mean, certainly on Liz Fair, we'll get into that. Um, But, you know, and I think a lot of kudos needs to be thrown thrown at her that doesn't make it sound very nice and a lot of these uh, kudos she kudos to her because she was likely i'm not an expert in this kind of thing but she was likely one of the first female artists to talk about sex in that way on her material i think mm. can you think of other examples or uh not really but i tell you what i'm going to pause that there Whoa. and the case for the prosecu- prosecution prosecution mm. will um commence will be coming along later okay um but on earth, so basically where we are is like, yes, you're right. I think that kind of open, honest, frank, confessional, quite brutal in some, like, you know, brutally honest, like really unscathing, un, you know, th- there didn't appear to be any kind of filter for what she mm. was saying, which makes it quite ironic brave. that on a, on her third album, which is 1998's White Chocolate Headspace, she was asked by a label, which was still Matador, but alongside uh, the major label Capital, to write some more radio-friendly singles after initially um, uh, the, ba- the, the the label kind of went, can you go back and write a couple of, I don't know what, how I, that sentence ended up being so weird. But, um, but basically, she kind of refused the suggestion that, some more radio-friendly singles needed to be written for her album. Um, And then we get a five-year gap. In that five-year period, she signed to Capital fully. So she is now away from Matador, which is obviously a smaller label. She goes away to record a record, um, uses all of the budget to make said record, hands it in, and the label, this time Capital, rejects it completely and says they're not going to put it out unless uh, she goes to work on it some more. She says, I will go away and I will do some more stuff. And the label says, you're out of money, mate. Um, That's exactly how they said it. Probably how they (laughs) said it, yeah. Uh, And said the only way they're going to get more of an advance on making this record and to give her more money to rate this record is, is on the condition that she works with the production team, The Matrix. Now, The Matrix, Renfrey, I'm sure you're familiar with the work of The Matrix, even if you aren't familiar with The Matrix themselves. Oh, well, there are three-person production production team who've worked with the likes of Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Avril Lavigne, Busted, Shakira, and weirdly, Korn, hmm. um, on the second self-titled Korn album. Bitch, we got a problem! And all that one. Um, <laughs> Which? Not great. Uh, well, I don't like Bitch, We Got a Problem. I think that album overall is much maligned, although... I think the first few songs are all right and the rest of it's pretty shit. All right, fine. I, I, I think it's... Personally. Fair, you know, at that time, Korn were not changing massively and I like the fact that they made a massive fucking change with that record. It was it was the yeah. most significant Korn change Korn had ever made at that point in their definitely career. Definitely was. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I had um, that. It was better yeah. than Take a Look in the Fucking Mirror, which was a joke of a record. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. way better um, than Take a Look in the Mirror. Yeah. Um, 
But anyway, so the album comes out after rewrites and re-recordings. And the critical reaction to the record was, frankly, pretty fucking vicious by some Mm. people. Uh, One star in The Guardian, once renowned for barbed commentaries on the women in rock theme. Her new songs are more like audio pornography splattered messily with her thoughts on shagging lust and underwear in case you hadn't noticed the terrifying decline in her songwriting the sleeve depicts fair semi-naked with a guitar between her legs and in the booklet she pouts and poses like a superannuated lolita not a pretty sight or sound the la times gave it one star said it's not even stretching the point to suggest that some fair fans will genuinely think the pressing plant put the wrong album in the fair package when they hear some of the airheaded pop on the disc the new york times uh, said she committed an embarrassing form of career suicide and then we come to matt limay's infamous pitchfork review a 0.0 review Pitchfork obviously do, you know, 8.4 or whatever. Mm. 0.0. Nothing. Zero. None. Absolutely has no artistic merit whatsoever. Um, Seems a little bit harsh. That really doesn't it. Um, But this uh, came from that review. In recent interviews, Fair has been upfront about her hopes of mainstream success and claims full awareness that Liz Fair is likely to alienate many of her original fans. What she doesn't seem to realise is that a collection of utterly generic rocked out pop songs isn't likely to win her many new ones. It's sad that an artist as groundbreaking as Fair would be reduced to cheap publicity stunts and hyper-commercialised teen pop. But then, this is the album she has always wanted to make in brackets uh one in which all of her quirks and limitations are absorbed into well-tested cliches and ultimately one that may as well not even exist now that is a truly scathing review and if you read the review in its entirety it is a, a review that takes that record completely to pieces um and really what it does for me is it reads as a kind of gatekeeper-esque mentality from a former fan who cannot believe that the artist that he fell in love with has decided to go so far in a totally different direction to the direction that he wants them to go in right agreed now we've all sort of felt that a little bit but um it's actually sorry just just to add it's pitchfork at its worst and it's what pitchfork it's what pitchfork has a reputation for um sometimes rightly sometimes wrongly but it's it's what pitchfork it's the reason why it's a fucking i mean so, sometimes there's brilliant stuff that comes from pitchfork but certainly when they started out there was an awful lot of just like oh we're better than everyone else we're better than the artists everyone's pathetic apart from us sneery kind mm. of bullshit and that's some people think that's good criticism it's not it's fucking mm. lame um to kind of uh go on to that point there's a piece on slate that tried to contact everybody who had got a 0.0 review on pitchfork and liz fair actually blanked the request the person who made the article um never heard from them uh thurston moore is actually interviewed in that piece very interesting um we don't know what she thinks about that review but one of the people that were interviewed in that piece is travis morrison from the band black kids who are a band that i'm not familiar with but they got slated in pitchfork um he was interviewed for the piece and had something quite interesting to say about that record uh he kind of refused to be interviewed about his own record but he said by the way i didn't know liz fair got a 0.0 this is in a an email exchange with the writer 
Uh, he said, by the way, I did not know that Liz Fair got a 0.0. I see it was for her pop record. I don't want to do any interviews, but I do want to say something about that because I so deeply love her art. I think that record was not her most completely executed, but I do think it was her most visionary gesture. I always admired her for it. Now, hipsters listen to Kylie Rae Jepsen and, Jepsen and no one thinks about it. But Liz Fair was pretty ahead of that curve and she really got some nasty shit about it. Mostly, of course, from white male critics. What a bunch of fucking garbage. Um, before we go on, uh, we should say, that before we get into the album ourselves, long-time friend of the podcast, Robert Christoku. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> was one of the few people who did review this album, surprisingly, pretty positively. Um, pretty positively. He basically, positively. he says it's the second coming of Christ, practically. <laughs> <laughs> so he says Liz Fair may not be her best album but don't bet on it for sure it's the one I want to hear right now next month I want to hear right now next month and all year um his review is terrible oh, it's, it's terrible uh, I tried to pick it apart but it is the dribbling nonsense of someone who thinks he's far more intelligent and important than he actually is as but per. then he as per but then even more bizarrely i mean you're gonna have to go and find it yourself because trying to pick quotes out of it to sort of make you understand just how bad this review was uh, you can't um but even more bizarrely he had a little dig Mm. at the just the idea of pitchfork critics a few years later Mm. saying back then pitchfork was still a snotty boys club open to many quote-unquote critics too many amateur wise asses and self-appointed astets throwing their weight around but to return to liz fair it got killed in the indie press for two things the indie sin of hiring name producers which my review goes into some detail it actually doesn't i mean (laughs) by the way it doesn't it doesn't go into any detail he guesses what songs he doesn't even know what songs the matrix oh really but he guesses (laughs) Does it get it you know, right? I reckon it's them. I re- oh, I haven't bothered trying to do that. Um, my review, which goes into some detail, and explicit sexuality. Good sex songs are hard to write, but I love them when they happen. Favourite and HWC stand out. They fucking seriously do. But the stone <laughs> classic here is Little Digger, in which her young son comes into the bedroom she's sharing with a guy that's not his dad. A complete killer, clearly over Lee May's head. Now... I have already expressed some reservations regarding that particular Pitchfork review. But the idea <laughs> that Robert Christogu doesn't write every single review he ever writes just to deliberately misguide people, him telling people they're missing the point, this is like some mad gatekeeper pylon. So I really do feel for Liz Fair. I feel for Robert Christogu. I He has no fucking idea what he thinks. He's all over the place. Um... I feel really sorry for Liz Fair. Um, here's a bold thing to say. Uh, I think Liz Fair, the album, is more successful as an album than Exile from Guyville. Hmm. Um, undoubtedly, she took a, a different direction. I don't think the direction she took is anywhere near the seismic change in direction that it actually is purported to be i think uh exile from guyville for the most part is a very good fairly straight ahead pop rock record um liz fair is a very 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 straight ahead pop rock record the difference 
is the emphasis on Exile from uh, Guyville is on the rock rather than the pop. And on Liz Fair, the emphasis on, is on the pop rather than the rock. But actually, in the real world, the difference is not massive. It's kind of like, you'll roll your eyes, but it's kind of like when people say, oh, Aya is so much different to Atlas. Well, is it? No. Um, but I don't think the I'm change... I my eyes at both those things, actually, what you said. I mean, I think there is quite... I think there's quite a big difference from Exile in Guyville, which is very, very lo-fi indie very quite raw sounding just in terms of production i mean maybe not in terms of song structures i i I think i think i'm specifically talking about songwriting and actually in terms of songwriting i don't think there's any i think there's barely any difference at all and do you know the other thing i'll say about her i actually think i already mentioned that i think um uh, exile from guyville is too long it really drags towards the end where it becomes very 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 experimental in in well, it just does. Um, and in my opinion, that's where Exile from Guyville really, really drags. Um, on Liz Fair, she doesn't even try to experiment, really. Um, no. But I personally think she's better. I prefer artists when they experiment a bit. But having said that, when it comes to Liz Fair, based on these two records at all, I think she's better at writing the pop rock kind of kelly clarkson style thing than she is at being the kind of early cheryl crow alanis morissette introspective singer songwriter person i think Hmm. she's better at that yeah yeah maybe i mean for me like okay so now i can understand who someone who was a massive fan of her early work would hear this because it does sound different and it is you know uh, i mean initially i thought before hearing Liz Fair, I listened to Exile in Guyville and I thought, well, God, it's, it's very graphic. Mm. And I wonder if that's the problem. And that's where the accusations of selling out like shit. But nope, nope. definitely not that. <laughs> um, I mean, I actually quite like the first couple of songs. They're just kind of, you know, female guitar, pop rock, light kind of, you know, like anastasia or alanis morissette or yeah that kind of thing there's nothing right? there's I mean, nothing to really be offended about no i mean in fact the second with. song red light fever sounds so much like taylor swift yeah that i really liked i thought this is really good um the big song in it was why can't i why can't i why, why I can't i why can't i why can't i which is you know fine as well that kind of country twang mixed with i mean it sounds like complicated by avril lavigne a lot and at that point, I was just like, this is snobs, isn't it? I mean, I don't really see what the problem is. This is just pure, pure snobbery. Um, and then then it's sweet comes along. It's got a kind of banger beat. I thought it's not really very good, this song particularly. But it's nothing offensive. And then it's really when Rock Me comes on where I go, ah, I see. <laughs> This is kind of gross, isn't it? So it's a song about her, an older woman, bedding a college rock kid. Um, Now, far be it for me to take it away from the context of the time or to point out that if a man had written that song, he'd be seen as sort of celebrating statutory rape. Um, But more than that, it's just a really crap song. with It's an embarrassing song with a terrible chorus that sounds like something that a sort of pervert Lindsay Lohan would sing 
in one of her sort of mid noughties <laughs> teen comedies. Um, now you can say that that's a really great juxtaposition of form and content. You can say it's a kind of anthem of female empowerment. You could say it's just purely fantastical and it doesn't mean anything. But we beat up Louis the Fourteenth for exactly this kind of shit. So Liz Fair, by the same token, really should be held accountable for doing something which is pretty gross, right? Hmm. I think there's a inherent misogyny in the record industry though in that because what we discovered with louis the 14th is they probably didn't get beaten up for it enough whereas liz Liz fair seems to have been ostracized for this record for actually saying things which in my opinion may be misguided but i don't think they are as bad as what louis the 14th is saying actually and actually i think this is a really interesting real world example of sexism in the music industry um that is a fucking brilliant point Renfrey, and you've absolutely stumped me there because yes. i cannot argue with that in the slightest yes you're quite right um there's a song called hwc and hwc didn't appear on um there's a clean version of this record and there's an explicit oh, yeah. version of this record it couldn't, it couldn't be on the clean version <laughs> i have been wanting to talk to you about this song all week um it stands for hot white cum yeah are you a fan of hot white cum steve (laughs) (laughs) um in what in what way i mean well i mean do you you like the the substance in sort of sexual play and so on and so forth (laughs) i've not done it i mean this song is basically i think it's a really bad i mean this is a zero out of zero so it's the one time where pitchfork i think we're a little bit right this is just basically a song about going my skin feels nice when i rub spunk on it isn't it more or less uh let's have a look um oh you know i love reading out these sexy sexy lyrics uh in a very white boy way um, i feel sick before you've done it. i feel already feel sick i'm gonna pull you back down between the sheets everything is fresher when the day is sweet in the morning light when you're already on the phone face it one of these days without you i'm just another dorian gray it's the fountain of youth it's the meaning of life so hot so sweet so wet my appetite and then a beautiful chorus of give me your hot white cum 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 um very sophisticated i think uh no i'm joking um it's i mean what is it it's a fucking yeah it's a travesty in a way but what fucks me off is if a man wrote this no one would bat an eyelid or well i think they would i don't i don't would at that no because it because this song there's nothing quote unquote rapey about it or anything like that it is just not it's just a song that is going i really like the ejaculate of men uh which is fine um then, and uh, and when think, when still panther get a lot of sh- even even still panther singing about stuff there are a lot of people that go like what well, one yeah we know you're joking but fucking hell you're gross there's a lot of i mean i'm thinking more mainstream 
mainstream stuff where there will be lots and lots of very explicit explicit sexual innuendo well not even innuendo just fucking in your because face. that's not innuendo this is no it? no this, this is isn't like, innuendo. i want you to chisel my face no 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 um oh uh, well i'm busy at the moment recording a podcast steve but maybe we can get to that later uh <laughs> but, but <laughs> he's not happy about that um but you know I, I I think I mean I annoyingly I don't have any specifically to mind, but I don't think it would take very long to find many men who well, have prince. written okay yeah yeah who've written an equivalent, um and oh, well I I mean I, I say get away with it I don't think there's anything wrong like this is you know it's a sexy song my favourite subgenre it's a sexy song and like there's nothing. The, it's totally post rock sexiness. <laughs> Just someone going boner for like twelve minutes. You've heard my new solo record, I see. Um, you know, like, I like that. There's nothing nasty in the intent of it. There's nothing kind of like um, it's not saying uh, I'm going to take take your seed from you, whether you want want it, it taken from you or not, or anything like that. And actually. The equivalent reversed. There's loads of songs. I mean, we've talked about blurred lines before and stuff like that. That did cause a massive controversy. It took fucking yes, ages yes. for that controversy yeah, to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, look, we can talk about the controversy it caused, and obviously, you're right. I think in the in the broader sense of the word, <clears> people <throat> getting upset with her regarding that song, and then not getting upset with Robin Thicke. Yes, it's a bad song. And if a bloke was like going, um, if, if if anybody wrote a song going. I, you know, I eat clitorises or something as oh, explicitly as that. You, I'm having a clitoris for would, tea in a minute. You would go, mate, you don't need, like, it's just a crap thing. It's like, mm. I don't know. Maybe oh. I'm a prude. Maybe I'm a prude, you're M3. No, 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 no. I was a bit look, like, oh. Let me, oh. let me be clear. I don't think HWC is a great song. I think it's throwaway nonsense, really. But... I just I just cannot help but see that utter hypocrisy and I've just glanced over the reviews and there's an awful lot of reviews that are basically saying it the equivalent of it's disgusting that she would share this kind of sentiment and it's like really are you fucking have you paid attention to most male pop stars like at some point they do something like this and it just goes completely unnoticed and i don't believe like musically i don't think this is quite kelly clarkson slash avril levine levels not that i'm a massive fan of either kelly clarkson or avril levine but i think both of them are clearly relatively good within their field since you've been gone by kelly clarkson is a fucking rager let's let's face it i think even you'd agree with that maybe i don't know oh yeah big time even me of course i do all right all right um and um i don't think this is of that quality but i don't think it's miles behind it either what hwc or the uh the album as a whole right yeah no no i i agree with you i mean the song Little Digger that was brought up about her son mm. seeing another dude having sex with her and how he just doesn't really understand what's going on. I think it's a great song, but I do actually think it's a very interesting subject subject matter. And I think the bluntness yeah. of how she actually addresses it is kind of the strength of that. Um, I mean, I, I think Ro- like, Robert Christogau calling it a stone cold classic is 
<laughs> yeah, well, Robert Christgau is a bloody idiot. Uh, bring <laughs> me the head of Robert Christgau. Um, <laughs> the guy, I mean, how is he uh, allowed to talk? Um, <laughs> cut off Robert Christgau's hands, sew up his mouth, just throw him. Oh, fuck me. Uh, uh, anyway. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Fire like Firewalker sounds a bit like Blind Melon, and that's good. I mean, yeah. it's not a pop sad out sort of thing. Favorites really good as well. Kind of sounds like e- ELO gone sort of naughty's emo. Um, there's a song called My Bionic My Bionic Eyes, which is just another song going. I like shagging. Get over it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and at that point, I was like, yeah, okay, good for you. And like, I got laid again last night. I said thanks for the drinks, and I turned off the lights um fine did she sell out i mean that's ultimately well may, i mean maybe i mean look i don't like the phrase sell out mm. right there's two things as why this album is clearly here isn't there first one did she sell out i think we've both established that yes as as bad as a song like hwc is it's a bad song and i think anyone being that kind of it's not even cheeky or bawdy is the problem with that song. It's just like a bit like sort of, it would be icky if, you know, it those songs icky. to me yeah. are just a bit kind of like, ugh, and it's not even a good song. Yeah. But in terms of, you know, My Bionic Eyes or um, Little Digger, I actually think that's kind of fine. The one where she goes to the guy's um, house and sleeps with him, uh, you know the the, the college kid mm-hmm. sleeping with him again. You know that's fine, I suppose. Again, it's not a great song, um, which probably doesn't help. But yeah, I'm more than happy to go. Yes, she really has been the victim of kind of unfair, as I said at the top, slut shaming from the media. Did she sell out? That is a different co- conversation. Now, I mean, maybe I don't really like the fl- the phrase. But she was kind of pushed into doing something that she clearly didn't really want to do. Because she'd made an album and it got rejected. And she kind of obviously did compromise her artistic integrity with often quite poor results. So I don't think this is a bad record. I it's actually, not a terrible record at all. I think the four songs that have the Matrix co-write are some of the strongest on there, actually. So I don't think it was a bad hmm. move to do that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I don't think she sold out at all. Um, I don't think there's, I don't think you can write a song. I don't think you can write a song called Hot White Cum and be accused of selling out. Really, like you're not writing Hot White Cum to get on the radio, are you? Uh, you're not writing no, um, no, no. the. I mean, the, the lyrics are still extraordinarily um, uh, blunt frank. and frank. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you can't. You, I don't think you can accuse someone of. Um, of selling out when they're still being that blunt and that frank and so on and so forth. And as I said to you earlier, musically, I don't think this is a million miles away from XL from Guyville as well. And when you consider that A, there's 10 years between them and B, that's the jump from her first to fourth record. It's not as if she released XL from Guyville and then released this a few years later. There was yeah. 10 years. It's nearly a decade. Yeah. It is a decade. There's a, oh, decade. It is a decade. It is, it is a, decade. a decade. Yeah. There's 10 years between that time. Um, three records in total, if you include Exile or Liz Fair. You know, it actually seems like, to me, it seems like a pretty natural progression. I'm, I'm, mm. I'm pretty stunned at the whole thing. And, and to be on, like, 
I I don't like this record and I'm not really going to return to it. Um, that super, super poppy rock stuff. I, I mentioned Avril Lavigne and Kelly Clarkson, both artists who I think are really good at what they do, but I don't listen to them because it doesn't feel like it's music for me. And this doesn't feel like music. It's music for me either. And I don't think this is of the quality of the best Kelly Clarkson and the best Avril Lavigne. I still think it's fine. I think it's perfectly fine. And, and I don't think mm. there's anything particularly wrong with it at all and actually yeah as i say i put, put my sights at the um industry for being misogynist fuckwits more than anything else yeah i mean the reaction is pure media hysteria and it's yeah. not a bad record this is certainly not a terrible record at all so i'm actually pretty cool with this whilst pointing out that there are a few things that i was like it just seems that seemed a bit try hard if you like but then that seems to i'd probably say the same thing about there's one of the songs on Exile and Guyville when she's talking about like look at my cunt or something. <laughs> I was just like, I was like, oh, the, okay. the, the, she she does. There are definitely there are phrases. I mean, I, I don't think she says look at my cunt, um, but there are phrases. There's something when she said something about her cunt, which I was like, just made me go, eh? yeah. There are but, phrases on Exile Exile from Guyville that really stand out, and you go, whoa, and it's sh- shocking and short and sharp, and even now it sounds quite shocking. I think at the time. As I said, I don't think there were many women who were being that frank about sex in their um, lyrics in uh, because I think they weren't. I, I don't think I don't think men who predominantly control the industry would have given them the platform to do it. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, like, I don't I, this record is nowhere near broken to me. I mean, you know, Hot White Cum is not something that i would put on a record um and i probably would have recommended it it wasn't on there uh it's a bit too long yada 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 but like we've reviewed we've reviewed far worse records than this way worse yeah. so where does it go in the list well uh i prefer self-portrait mm-hmm. um and I think Metal Machine music, as we have argued before, did what it set out to do. I'm not sure. I I think what this album set out to do was sell her, sell lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of copies. And it didn't really. It sold about half a million, I think. Which isn't anything to be snubbed at, but I'm guessing they wanted to sell far more than that. Um... I'm tempted, and you may disagree, but I'm tempted to put it between Lauren Hill and Lou Reed because I think I I I I think it's more the Lauren Lauren Hill record. There's some good stuff on it, but I I think this is far more accomplished than Lauren Hill in what it's setting out to do. If that makes sense, I don't. I mean, actually, the the music on that Lauren Hill, the MTV Unplugged one, obviously that I'm talking about, is is incredibly mm. simple and ridiculously stripped yep. back, and just goes on and on and on. <laughs> At least these songs, the the record's a bit long; it's 50 minutes and it's 14 songs, but the songs are all kind of four minutes long, kind of thing. Um, but that's. You there's know, certainly more there's certainly more good songs on this than there is on lauren hill mtv unplugged definitely but what lauren hill mtv unplugged have has is mystery of iniquity which i still believe is 
the single best song of any on any of the records that we have reviewed. So does one absolutely yeah, but this, incredibly This has got song, hot white cum, mate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, does one absolutely incredible song overthrow um, a series of pretty good songs in my opinion no i don't think it is enough i think you're probably right actually mm. yeah just about right i reckon yeah I and mean, that was the only thing is it's that you know we're not reviewing it if it was come came down to you know who did the best song then obviously yeah lauren hill Fuck it's it. yeah it's no lauren contest. hill but i think but i think yeah um overall the liz fair record is probably a little bit better so there you go it goes in between Lauren Hill and Lou Reed, safely at the top of um, all the, yeah, the kind of the upper echelons of mm. the worst albums. In that kind of, that, they're not really that bad, actually. In that, probably shouldn't be there, really. I mean, yeah. you know, I don't, I, in this chart, I don't think, we've kind of already said it, but I don't think Lauren Hill, Lou Reed or Bob Dylan should be in there. And I don't think this fair should be either. But, yeah, you know tough tips there we go let's pick another one. <laughs> oh yeah next week renfrey i'm rummaging around i've got one in my hand now <laughs> yes oh next week the self-titled debut album <laughs> from methods of mayhem <gasps> oh it's been tommy a long lee from motley... time since i've heard that tommy lee from motley crew goes new metal Fantastic. oh I remember. I remember when this came out. Yeah, I own I this fucking record. Ooh, wow. Jesus. Is this the, yeah, is there this you go. The Spoiler. First, is this the first time a broken record's come up that either of us has owned then? Uh, yeah, I think it Must is. Must be. Yep. Wow. I think okay. it is. There's mm. a couple in the hat that I own and none have come up yet, but that's interesting. Yeah. So you've got... Yeah. So I actually have bought this on CD. I think I paid a pound for it uh, back in the day in FOP about... 15 years ago um just as some sort of bizarre nostalgia self-flagellation yeah um i do that i do that occasionally i do like when when they're really really cheap even though i know something's dreadful if it's like two quid i'll be like oh i'll buy that for a laugh that's how i got the first coal chamber album oh you lucky boy (laughs) okay thank you very much for listening to the show that is your lot we will be back with another episode which is waiting for you wherever you have consumed this podcast from it's waiting for you right now over there episode number 15 where we tackle (laughs) methods of mayhem it's a doozy that one isn't it renfrey it's a doozy (laughs) yeah hell of a doozy yeah oh dearie me so look i mean steal yourself for a minute and then get over to episode 15 and listen to us talking about methods of mayhem we'll be back over there waiting for you go to our page on riot act and every friday there's brand new podcasts of us reviewing the best new music you can go to patreon.com forward slash riot act podcast and you can get some excellent if i do say so myself uh, exclusive content from <laughs> renfrey and i but um the methods of mayhem is happening over on episode 15 go and check it out <laughs>